Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. And today I'm really pleased to have as my guests Amrita and Apollo Grace. They are certified spiritual sexual educators who've built their relationship and their work on a foundation of sacred sexuality, shadow work, and conscious intimacy and communication. Amrita is the co-founder of the Sacred Feminine Mystery School, which facilitates workshops and teacher trainings for women in sacred sexual awakening and healing. Welcome to the show, Amrita and Apollo. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, yeah, thanks. It's, it's wonderful to be here to talk about these things, to talk about our relationship. So glad to have you. So, Amrita, let's start with you. Um, can you share with us how you found your way into this field of sacred sexuality? And maybe tell us a little bit about what that phrase means to you. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. I actually found my way into sacred sexual awakening and healing because I desperately needed it. I had done a lot of personal work, a lot of therapy after coming from childhood sexual abuse and adult sexual addiction and just really found myself on the other side of all this therapy and personal work with my sexuality still unhealed. So luckily I found my way to a school that taught very high integrity sexual healing and that began my journey in this incredible work that now is my sacred work of healing my own sexuality and coming into full integrity with my sexual energy. I had a strong desire to attract a beloved partner, and I really feel like doing the the work around sexual healing was a a very big part of that. So it was just something I desperately needed and was very, very grateful to find. Mm, Beautiful. Can you talk about what you mean by being in integrity with your sexual energy? What does that mean? Sure, of course. Because of my history with childhood sexual abuse, which then manifested for me as adult sexual addiction, I was acting out sexually for a very long time, about 20 years actually, before I was willing to heal. And like any addiction, sexual addiction covers up pain and an unwillingness to to face our pain. So that was, for me, it was just sex happened to be my drug of choice. So to, I was out of integrity with my sexual energy in ways such as I was choosing unhealthy sexual partners. I was, at times, I, I, I look back and I could even see myself as a sexual predator, which is a really strong word. However, it's, um, it's one that I resonate with when I look back. And when I really decided it was time to heal, like I was really ready to face my addiction and everything that went along with that, I needed to gather my sexual energy back into safety, safety for myself and safety for others because I wasn't a safe person to be around sexually and I wasn't even aware of it. I had what I would call sexual energy that leaked all over the place. It it would people could feel my sexual energy coming at them. So my journey of sexual healing was really a several-year path of gathering my sexual energy into a safe container and having full responsibility for it so that I wasn't unconsciously impacting other people with it. Mm, Beautiful. 
Really good work. Thank you for your vulnerability with that, Amrita. You're welcome. And and how, how about you, Apollo? How did you find your way into the field of sacred sexuality, and what does that phrase mean to you? Yeah, for me, it was a there was a similar pattern. Uh, we we had different forms that that we've taken with our lives, but we both started out with sexual wounding. I was sexually abused when I was young, and just carrying the shame of that for several years. So. Like Amrita, I went through traditional routes of therapy, and I'm glad I did that at a young age. I was, I'm, I'm glad that I summoned up the courage to do that. But it didn't fully bring me into alignment with myself. I still carried the shame, and I was still struggling from time to time with accepting myself as a sexual being. And uh, the there was, I had. Whereas she were she acted out. Whereas she went into um, pattern of sexual addiction. For me, it was more about shutdown. My body just wouldn't play at some point. I had issues with impotence, and I had issues with basically just not wanting to deal with sex, with wanting to shut myself completely off of that. But every so often, I would hear this phrase, sacred sexuality, and usually overheard conversations or was in the background. And every time, I noticed it lit me up. It would be like there's what is that? How can you even connect those together? Because in my mind, there was this whole spectrum of human existence. And over here at, at the high end, you've got what is sacred. You've got the spirituality. You've got the connection with God, the divine. And then you've got this entire mundane realm that comes in between, which is where I was comfortable um, operating in the world and, and moving um, in, in the mundane world and jobs and so on. And then there was sexuality, which was this underworld, this sort of shame. And to be able to connect those two together just seemed like the most powerful um, concept, even just to know that, even to know the phrase sacred sexuality and to let that phrase sink into my body was something that began the healing. So when I found out about a workshop in my town, I went to it and I said, this is what I need to do. Um, that I, I suddenly realized that I felt called to be a sacred sexual healer, actually, but that the first thing that I needed to do was spend several years on my own healing. Um, so I did right. that, and I started going to workshops and started going to conferences. And just as I had reached a point of really um, feeling whole with myself and feeling okay with myself as a man, I had all these judgments about men and masculinity, and feeling really alive and embodied with who I was as a sexual being, um, Amrita turned up in my life. So mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah, which yep. brings me to my next, my next piece I wanted to talk about was, I believe I was at the, the training where you two yes. met, and, and I got to witness your falling in love and the beautiful mm-hmm. unfolding of that experience. Um, so now, and, and so tell me how many years ago that was, because I don't remember, and you probably do. And then <laughs> how was that, now in retrospect, all these years later, how was that experience to you? And, and how, like, what did, what do you, how do you see it now um, as being kind of a turning point in your lives? Well, it was 10 years oh, which ago. Which one of you mom. would like to start? <laughs> yeah. I'll say it was 10 years ago this month, and then I'll turn it over to Amrita. 10 years ago. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Amrita. Yeah, we're actually celebrating that 10-year anniversary on May May 13th is what we landed on. That might not be the exact date, but close enough, and we are celebrating 10 years. And, wow, it was um, 
<laughs> so much has happened in that time. It was such an interesting time, and you were absolutely there to witness it. And such a such a series of synchronicities that actually had me stay after the conference for that workshop, and I had, which I hadn't planned on doing, and then to have the opportunity to work with Apollo in the shamanic breathwork portion was really powerful for for both of us, and to have um, our friend Anya facilitating that, who we who is now our neighbor, we where we moved to was where she lives. It just so many synchronicities. It was a it was really a very beautiful time, and one of our great memories mm-hmm. of that was as we left that workshop, we were we got a ride to the Phoenix Airport together, even though we were going of course to separate places. And we sat together, I sat on his lap in, in what's called Yavyam, a beautiful tantric pose, in that airport on the floor, and people just flowed around us. But we didn't know about anybody or anything else except mm. just each other in that moment as we mm. parted ways for the next seven months. Mm. Mm. Wow. I didn't know that. That's mm. beautiful. And how about you, Apollo? Looking back, you know, ten years ago, um, how do you see mm-hmm. it now as kind of a turning point in your life? Uh, yeah, it was a huge turning point. And it actually didn't start when I met Amrita because I'd chosen, I'd taken a month, uh, more than a month, a couple of months out of my life to go to Sedona, which is where this the school I was studying in was, and devote myself to the practice and devote myself to my own healing and coming into some kind of culmination with it. Um, so... So it was a turning point in my relationship with myself first. And as that was happening, she also came into my life. And um, I knew it was an incredible, powerful relationship from the moment that I met her. I didn't know the impact, the fullness of the impact that it was going to have on my life or that I'd be here in the way that I am with her today. Um, but it was absolutely right. I was, I was in a place of high magic in my own life and what was emerging in me and around me. And, um, and she was very much a part of that. And, um, yeah, and then we just followed the path month to month, a year to year, day to day from where, where it led from that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I just glanced at the calendar, mm-hmm. and the day that you'll be celebrating your 10-year anniversary is Mother's Day. So I think there's some kind oh. of magic <laughs> in that, too. <laughs> I was just figuring out, I do a lot of work with astrology, and 5.13.08, those are the, every, thir- every eight years on Earth, Venus does 13 years, so there are five Venus cycles. So there's, there's all kinds of beautiful magic there. There's good numbers. Hmm. Great. And so, Amrita, how has your work in the realm of sacred spirituality influenced your your relationship oh that's a really great question Timothy it's um because I did so much work in this realm and it was probably well I was single for about eight years before I met Apollo and I was very focused on on my own healing and my own coming fully into my own self and being really really comfortable with my own company and um, it, through my 
work in the sacred sexuality field through my learning, through my becoming certified, and then continuing with that school as a teacher, administrator, and eventually the director of that school, I gained a lot of really amazing tools and communication tools and many others, energy management tools and intimacy skills. So when I came into relationship with Apollo, we actually both came in with these incredible skills and tools. And I'll tell you, that's a really great way to start a relationship. I think that there's a lot of the things that we came in with are things that should be taught to children at a very young age, how to really come into a space of of connection and intimacy with a partner, with another person. It doesn't even matter if it's a partner, but with another person to come into true presence with oneself and another these are the skills that have, were the foundation of our relationship right from the beginning, and they have served us well and continue to serve us well. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, can you share with, with us some of, a few of your favorite practices for creating more intimacy in relationship? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Mm. I want everybody to have the skills and tools like this. I'd say one of the biggest ones and one of the most important ones in our busy, busy lives, is to really carve out time and space to be with each other where there's no TV, no cell phones, no distractions of any kind. And that alone can be heroic just to carve out the time. And it can be however often it works for you. But the importance is, to, if even if you have to put it on the calendar, to make that time. We do that. We have this great couch which is more like a bed than a couch, and we meet each other there for couch time, and we slow things down, and we set our phones aside, and we really take time to drop in with each other. Even if our heads are still going 100 miles an hour, we can be there and take a few breaths and let things start to calm down. And I'm sure there's some things that Apollo wants to add to this too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the thing that I notice about that time is that there's a part of me that finds it a little bit uncomfortable. Um, when we first sit down, when we're when we're there on the couch with each other, we'll say a few things to each other, we're appreciative, you know, we're happy to see each other for sure. But then the conversation slows down. And there's a part of me that's uncomfortable with that. There's a part of me that wants to say, should we watch some TV? Because goodness knows mm-hmm. there's great TV out there these days. Or... Um, would you like to go do something or um, there's just, I don't have a specific idea, but I'm kind of uncomfortable with the silence. I'm in a space with my lover and we're not saying anything and there's magic that can happen between us, but the magic isn't really happening yet either. And so I don't quite know what to do with myself at that moment. What I find is that there's a true, there's, there is a huge magic in sitting through that in being willing to sit in that uncomfortable space and we trust each other. So even though I might have my own little judgments about not saying anything and I should be more entertaining than this and so on, it's okay. And so we're sitting there on the couch and gradually as we're there, we go into a deeper space with each other. Um, We come up, we we do find things to say, but the things that we say aren't as important as as the space that we're beginning to occupy together as the resonance that's coming up between the beings that we are. And that usually about 45 minutes in, I would guess, things start to feel pretty magical. And by two hours, 
it's it it feels like a really rich shared experience and i feel like like there's a part of me that's satisfied that i've kind of done my work as a human being and as a lover by coming into this space with her so that's mm. that's good that's rich yeah thank you for sharing that so when you come together do you have an agreement to not have sex or do you just kind of let sex arise um, more organically? Do you have agreements around no chit chat at first so that you're kind of out of your verbal <laughs> mind? Like what, what are some of your boundaries when you first join each other on that couch? I don't think we've made it quite that we formal any... with, go ahead. I wouldn't say that we have any specific, yeah, not formal agreements more unspoken and certainly nothing around whether we'll go in a sexual direction. Mostly it's about just uh, setting aside distractions and it doesn't have to be a long space of time for people who want to practice this. It can really even be 10 minutes, but we, we come together and we see what unfolds. We see what wants to happen. There's really no pressure to do any one thing or another. Sometimes it is, let's watch TV. And sometimes we'll see where we go. If we start making out, maybe that'll take us in a sexual direction. That actually leads me to another one of our practices, intimacy practices, which is to really be looking at each other and keeping our eyes open when we're connecting sexually. To mm. really, I mean, that, there, there is so much magic in, eye, in connecting the eyes, whether it's lovers or in any other kind of situation. And it's a piece of the magic and the healing work that I teach is staying connected with the eyes. It creates an altered state. It can create an altered state of consciousness hmm. that can open up other dimensions, can, can have an impact on how much time you think you're spending together, it really starts to open up new realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these things that you're mentioning are simple but hard to do. And you use the term heroic to, you know, just to be able to turn your phone off is heroic in today's world. So <laughs> I appreciate the simplicity of it, but it's hard to do. It's hard to carve out even 10 minutes away from our modern lives. So thank you for, for the simple tools that you're offering um, but also just to acknowledge that, that it, it does take a heroic effort to to create that space. And then also keeping your eyes open is very simple. But so many of us are programmed to not be looked at or not be seen when we're in our erotic energy. Do you find that's hard for a lot of people to be able to be seen and, and to even feel the turn on with their eyes open? Do you, do you find that a challenge for some of your uh, students? It is a challenge, and and I think you said the right word, programmed, to to not be seen and to not see. There's but what happens when we close our eyes is we go somewhere else. We go into a fantasy, or and it could even be a, fa- a fantasy about our the partner that we're with, but it's not present in the moment. <laughs> and that is really where the magic is is in that presence of self, presence with other. It's such a foundational thing, but and yet it's just we're just not taught about presence. And I think that it's really to me it's it's a foundational thing that we all need to know. But when we can come into presence with our lover and keep our eyes open, that that has an exponential impact on intimacy. 
Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, so that brings me to my next question, some juicy info that I want to learn about from you guys, because I, I haven't spent very much time with you since I first met you um, back 10 years ago. Um, during that time, it's my understanding that Apollo, you were in a polyamorous um, triad, I believe, in another state. So can you talk a little bit about your journey from from that to being kind of what I understand is a bit monogamish with Amrita now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting that she, for her healing path, had a period of essentially containing her sexual energy and a period of abstinence, that that was part of how she came back into integrity with herself. Whereas as part of my healing path, um, it was really incredibly valuable for, it to, for me to experience intimacy and love and sexual expression with a lot of different people. Um, so I had a really rich period of being polyamorous. My, the, the wounding that I took away from, from my childhood sexual wounds was one of shutdown and shame and not accepting my own sexual nature. Um, so there was a, really, there was a, a lot of richness to the path of opening to love and being received in love um, by a number of different people over the course of several years. The triad, I was in a married triad in Minneapolis, and it was very successful. We were together for about eight years, and um, it was easy. Um, it was a male-male-female triad um, where, where we were both involved with, with her, and the other man and I were not involved with each other. I think that's a particularly easy configuration. I know that some, some female, female, male triads haven't had it quite so easy. Um, there's something about space and women, I think, and whether that's cultural or innate, I have no idea. But uh, we had a pretty good time of it. And um, that, was a, that was my household. That was my, that was my root. That was my foundation um, from which I was venturing to explore the world of sacred sexuality and going to these workshops and so on. Um, so that was really rich. Then I met Amrita, and I started to have a long-distance relationship with her. And I came out. She invited me to take some of the curriculum from the Divine Feminine Institute, where she'd studied. And I got excited about, about that curriculum, as well as about the opportunity to spend more time with her. Came to be with her on Mali for a little bit. And it just became what I, what I saw in my relationship with Amrita is that I was being seen and met in a new way. So whereas there had been tremendous love between me and my partners in the past, um, this, was, this was something where I felt all of me welcome in a way that I had never experienced before. And where I wanted, where my heart was saying that I wanted to welcome all of her in. So what that led to is a realignment of my life where I left Minnesota and I came to live with her in Maui and um, gradually completed with my other relationships. And we initially thought about it as a time of just being with each other. Um, Not that I needed to stop being polyamorous, but there was, she actually specifically requested for some time that was just for us and that made sense to me. So we started on that path. And we got very, we went very deep, very quickly, and it was really good. And um, so we got engaged and we got married. 
And um, we stayed with that for a couple of years. And then there was a point somewhere in uh, 2013, 2014, we were, we were a few years, couple of years into the marriage, and I kind of let it slip. I wasn't very direct about it because sometimes when there's something that I'm worried might not be acceptable, I kind of keep it hidden longer than I should. But I let slip that I'd been interested in this woman or interested in that woman that we knew um, in our lives here. And um, so we needed to examine that. And we took a year, actually, to examine that. And I, I'm a little bit conflict avoidant, so I, there was a part of me that just wanted to say, okay, this is complicated, let's not do it. But she mm-hmm. didn't actually accept that. She said, uh, she said, I won't accept you being any less than all of who you are. So I'm like, crap, that means we're, we've got a problem. <laughs> that means we have something to figure out here because I haven't figured out how this all fits together. And so we sat in the discomfort of it, actually, for a lot of 2015. And um, there were points that were really rough for her, and there were points that were really rough for me. And because I started, um, I, I began to start to get involved with another person, there were parts that were rough for that person as well. Um, so it was, a, it was a messy exploration, but a necessary one to really understand what who we were going to be together, what was possible, what was not possible, what her clear no was, um, what sort of things would be worth leaving the relationship for her, what sort of things would or would not be worth leaving the relationship for me, um, and what it was that I really needed and really valued. And uh, out of that, I concluded that actually monogamy worked for me. And um, it's not that I don't have desire. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Amrita is that she's always welcomed and celebrated my desire, uh, whether it's for that very attractive waitress over there or um, kind of falling in love with her friends because she has awesome friends and they're really wonderful people. <laughs> um, but that's, that's always been accepted as long as we had certain boundaries. And so I wouldn't, so one of those boundaries would be to not actually have sexual intercourse with anyone else. And as I sat with that, I realized that those boundaries work for me. I want to f- find ways to be in love and intimacy with people. And I love sex. I think sex is great. But that's not actually a necessary component for me. The highest form of intimacy for me are the, the conversations that occur in a relaxed space where we can look, in each, look each other in the eyes, recognize how beautiful each other are, maybe even recognize that there's desire for sexual connection, um, but not need to do anything about it. And then from that space, share deeply about what's on our hearts and what it's like to be a human in this world. Those conversations are what I'm in for. Those con- and those conversations I have access to with a number of different people. And uh, I also figured out that I, there are a lot of things that I want to do with my life and the time commitments of really engaging in multiple loving, long-term loving relationships uh, were more than I wanted to take on. Mm-hmm. So it took me a long time to figure it out, but that's what I came to. And there are parts of it that are still uncomfortable for Amrita from time to time, but by and large, we seem to have found something that really works for both of us. Parts of it that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. for me too. Just, um, you know, a sense of, of, maybe checking in with myself. Am I holding myself back? Is this the highest expression of who I'm here to be? And then finding my way back to, yes, it is. And this is a good place. Yeah. 
Wow, thank you for your transparency with your story. Um, if you're mm-hmm. if you're just if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com, and we're speaking with Amrita and Apollo Grace, who are um, spiritual sexual educators, and we're talking about their own divine union and how they've evolved from um, past history of sexual addiction and um, Apollo's uh, past polyamorous relationships into um, their own unique style of relating with each other now. And you just said a lot, Apollo, and I want to unpack some of the things you said. Got some juicy stuff from that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to ask, well, first I just want to acknowledge you that I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they've chosen monogamy over um, polyamory because of the issue of time that to have quality relationships really does take time. And sometimes we have other priorities in our life. So that's one really valid reason right there. Um, But another thing I want to ask you about is now, if you're, if you're kind of into Tantra and sacred sexuality, um, do you do like pujas where you're um, interacting with other people in the room and exchanging sexual energy? I understand sexual intercourse is one of your boundaries, Mm-hmm. But I used the mm-hmm. term monogamish with you guys a little earlier because <laughs> um, imagining that you're allowing that energy, that shared energy with other people and that there's sexual feelings, but you're just not acting on them to the degree of, you know, wet sex, as we call it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you handle that when you're like in a puja or in a room with a group of yummy tantricas? <laughs> Sure, sure, that that does come up. And um, one of the things that I actually really love to do in a way that I get some of my sort of more exploratory intimacy needs met is to go to a cuddle party. And so cuddle parties have been around for a little over a decade, I think, and they're actually probably a couple of decades now. And they are explicitly non-sexual. So we create a container. Um, It's a workshop on touch, a workshop on healthy touch. There's all these great lessons around how to say no, um, how to get genuine consent before you initiate touch, things like that. And fundamentally, it's a lot of really luscious, loving touch. And um, so I go to those, and I have those experiences, and I check in with Amrita, and, and, you know, how does that feel to you? And if there was a problem for her, then I might, you know, then there would be something to talk about because this is really valuable to me. But it turns out that there isn't, that that feels fine to her. And then occasionally there are events that are similar to cuddle parties that go a little bit further in a sensual direction. And there is, as you say, a little bit more exchange of of sensual sexual energy. And um, so Amrita came along with me to one of those events and just to see it, just to check it out. And she figured that that was was a pretty good fit too. And so I go to those from time to time. And so we're exploring these edges. And I really appreciate that, um, that there's an opportunity here. One of the things that happens in these workshops that have boundaries, like a cuddle party or like Afternoon Delight, which is the the, the slightly um, more sensual version that I was referring to, when we have those boundaries, we have experiences that we wouldn't have if we didn't have the boundaries. So just being in the joy of cuddling as we are in a cuddle party is something that might not happen if everybody was sexually available or, you know, even with Mm -hmm. two people being sexually available to each other, there tends to be an acceleration that happens. 
to go past the cuddle experience and go into sex. And um, some of this is gender specific. I know a lot of the acceleration energy does come out of the male body. I've certainly experienced that in myself. But, um, but there's also, there are new spaces that I've found that only come about when there are specific boundaries held. So I'm really interested in that frontier, I guess, of polyamory. What is it like to, um, to not go all the way to sharing sexually with multiple people, but to see how much intimacy is possible before going to that point? to see how much connection is possible before that, how much we can recognize how beautiful each other are. Because most people that, have, that, that show up at these things have a lot of beauty, have um, a lot of richness in who they are, and just, they're, they're remarkable, and they're, they're astounding, and they're, they have life histories that are fascinating. To be able to be with all of that, and to hold all of that and essentially to fall in love with each other and have that be a complete experience unto itself, that it doesn't necessarily need to lead to sex, it doesn't need to lead to a long-term relationship that has any degree of commitments or date nights or any of the complexities that come along with that, but just being able to be honest about the love we feel for each other when we let our guard down and when we get honest with each other about who we are, that to me is remarkable. And I want to actually explore more of that. And it seems to me that if I were living the life that I was living 10 years ago, where I was married and had um, several relationship partners at once, I might not be getting as much of that as I am trying to walk in this slightly uncomfortable space of having a lot of desire for connection and saying, this is as far as it goes. Beautiful. I love that. And I do agree with you that I think boundaries can be incredibly hot. I, it just reminded <laughs> me of a puja I did recently where the boundary was, you know, no, no kissing, no touching of genitals or breasts. Um, but outside of that, you know, we could request whatever we wanted. And I remember I asked one of my partners to come right up to my lips and I just wanted to feel his breath without us actually kissing, mm. like just stopped shy of kissing. And it was so hot. <laughs> so mm. I think the boundaries can be amazing. And this is a tool that a lot of um, couples who are a little shy of completely opening their marriage, but maybe they need some more juice in their marriage, can get that juice without having the complexities, like you said, of, um, you mm. know, STIs and scheduling and all the, stuff that comes with full-on polyamory. So I love that you guys have found, I think it's a really strong way of being monogamish. Um, And I want to bring Amrita into the conversation about this now. And um, I want to hear your thoughts about how it's been for you when Apollo shares his sexual energy with people without actually being sexual. And also I'd love to hear if you think it's possible for well, let's start there, Amrita. I have another follow-up question, but let's start with there because I'm sure you've had a lot of thoughts while he's been talking. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Would you ask the question again? Yeah, just how has it been for you um, yes. for Apollo to be sharing um, sexual energy with people in these activities where you're in groups of powerful, yummy um, uh, tantricas, um, but you have that boundary with each other where you're not 
you know, full on engaging sexually and you're not having relationships with dates and stuff? How, how has this kind of slightly modified version of monogamy been working for you? <laughs> it's actually working really well for me. And it's taken me a while to get there. We had a lot of things to work through because I was really, as I was calling in my beloved, I had, I had all of these requests and one of them was monogamy. That's what I really wanted, and, and part of that stemmed from coming from that 20 years of acting out sexually where I used polyamory and swinging as ways to get my addiction met. They weren't real mm-hmm. for me. They were acting out behavior. So I really brought myself all the way into this place of just wanting a monogamous relationship. And we, because I took a risk with Apollo knowing that he was poly, also some part of me knew that he was beloved. And I wasn't really looking at that at the time. That came, that came a little later. But I, I knew that, I, that it was going to be okay to take a risk with my heart with him. And I was all the way in from the first moment. And we, so we've worked through this past 10 years. We've worked through a lot around it, including the, the year of really diving deep with it, as he described, and I feel like we've come to a really great place with it because I want him to be all of who he is. And I also want this kind of beloved connection that I've called in and asked for and that he has showed up for where we don't, where we don't actually have, as you say, wet sex with other people. But that that sexual energy that is so abundant, it's really our life force energy, and this is a big part of what I teach. It's not just for sex. This is for our vitality, for our passion for life. It's really, it's everything we want to have moving. And I really acknowledge and appreciate the kind of man that he is. He is a man with a huge heart. He is a man that loves to connect with others. He's a man that loves and appreciates women of all shapes, sizes, ages, and backgrounds, and nationalities and I just love that about him so it's 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 been really helpful for me to I went and checked out the cuddle parties and okay it's not my thing but I'm happy that you are enjoying this I went and checked out the afternoon delight party and went okay it's not my thing but I'm really happy you're enjoying this and I don't I don't even need him to come home and tell me about it so so it's really actually working out pretty well and it it feels good. I think a lot of women would, um, I, I hear a lot of women say, well, I don't care if he has sex with someone else as long as he doesn't fall in love. I go at it from a, the, the opposite perspective because I know he's going to fall in love. I know he's going to fall in love mm-hmm. all over the place. And that's <laughs> fine. I'm good with that because I want both of us to have whatever kind of non-sexual but connected intimacy with other people that we each want and choose and we support that in each other and it's working beautiful um so i have one more question for you about this apollo and then we can move on um Mm -hmm. do you think it's possible you talked about the way that you feel seen by amrita in your relationship um do you think it's possible to be seen that way the way that you feel seen by her and be poly if both partners want to be poly? If both partners do, absolutely. So if, mm-hmm. um, if 
Amrita underwent some sort of evolution on her own about this and came to a place where um, where a more polyamorous approach to love was something that felt suitable to her. Um, I don't see that as in any way taking away from the depth of our connection, the depth of our acceptance of each other, which is so profound. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's no contradiction there whatsoever. And okay. um, <laughs> having said that hypothetical, that's, that's a very different thing from who we are. So that, that, that seems kind of strange to say at the same time. It's very hypothetical. I really, yeah. Um, yeah. I really appreciate the experience to be um, in the creative tension of this, to really be like, to feel a lot of desire that I, that I have, you know, in the past expressed a lot of different ways and to be, okay, what else is possible about, about what to do with that love, with that appreciation of beauty, with the desire that I feel that I don't really want to hide. Yeah, what else, what else is possible for how humans can be with each other um, so that it feels good and yummy and less complicated than it can sometimes be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just really acknowledge how you two have co-created this, this beautiful, unique way of, of honoring who each other is at this point in your past and that you've um, coalesced that into your work in the world. So um, mm. c- congratulations and good work there. Um, I really honor you for that. Um, and I want to ask Amrita to talk a little bit about, um, in the, the introduction that I gave you, you talked about how your work is based on a foundation of sacred sexuality, conscious intimacy and communication, and shadow work. So can you touch on that a little bit? I don't want to skip over that because I know that we all have our junk and our stuff and our patterns and our issues. <laughs> so um, can you touch, talk, talk a little bit about how, why, why you feel shadow work should get top billing with all the other stuff? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great question. And with because my work is based in sexuality, the shadows are deep, they're old, they're ancient, they're generations old, they're thousands of years old. And it seems like we're really coming into a time where there's an opportunity for these things to start surfacing. And it's super important for them to surface so they can be healed and integrated. And because my work is around sexuality, I I feel it's an absolute requirement to hold a space for people's sexual shadow to emerge. And that's the only way it's going to get healed because if it's not acknowledged and healed, it comes out sideways. And I speak with a lot of passion around that because that's how my life operated for many years. My sexuality and sexual shadow came out sideways in ways that were unconscious. So when we can bring the unconscious conscious and take a look at it, it it loses a lot of its charge. So one of the ways that we incorporated this into our relationship is that we took shadow vows when we got married. So we, we, we came up with all of the ways in which we might be shadow carriers to each other, and we took these shadow vows. Now, this came from... Um, a book on shadow, which Apollo can probably remember what that is, which was we thought was a fabulous idea. And can we I interrupt you just for a second, please? Sure. 
Um, whoever, yeah, there's some background noise. So whoever is, if you could mute yourself, that would make sure that the recording sounds good. Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Amrita. Great. Sure. Yeah. So, so the the, the piece around shadow is a one that's really, really important to me, and I want to always be one of the one of the things that Apollo and I do is we'll name each other's shadows if we see them, and in some relationships that would be a fight waiting to happen. And yet we allow space for that in our relationship and have from the beginning because shadow by its definition is something that we cannot see in ourselves. So if we can lovingly point that out to each other, then we can take a look at it. And then and then that just really spills over into my work. I just, I've just come off teaching a week-long workshop and it's a big part of my job in these workshops is to hold a very powerful container for shadow to arise. And it does. And it takes a powerful person who is really clear in their own shadow work and who continues to do their own shadow work to hold it for others. So I'm really committed to doing my own shadow work. And that's one of the ways that Apollo and I can really support each other so that we can be clear for our work with other people. Beautiful. And tell me how do you or how have you evolved to be able to lovingly point out the other's shadow? Because that can be such a minefield. It can be a minefield. And that's one of the ways that we, because we came into this work or into, into our, into each other's world, having already been initiated into this work for several years each, we already had examined a lot of our own personal shadow and got exposed to working with shadow before we even met each other. So part of it refers back to something that Paul has mentioned a couple times, and that is a deep, deep trust that we have with each other. And that is so important to have that trust and to have our inner children really trust each other so that we don't so that we don't get wounded parts of us triggered. If if one person says, Oh, I see this codependency thing in you, that could be really triggering. Or it could be like, Oh, really? Tell me more about that. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. So we we keep curiosity is part of it. And you know, maybe we say, I don't buy that or I don't really resonate with that right now. But instead of having it be a trigger that leads to a fight, and I'm not saying that never happens because of course it does. <laughs> generally it's it's a it's really just a wonderful exploration. Mhm. Beautiful. And excuse me, how about you, Apollo? How does that work for you when <coughs> excuse me, when um when you want to point out something that you think Amrita's not seeing about herself? Mm, I'm, um, I thought you were going to ask me about the other, the other end of it. I'm actually much more comfortable with the other end where I, if she's pointing something out to me because um, then I'm like, ooh, goody, I get to, you know, there, there's part of me that's the little boy that feels criticized, and so that can be tender, but then there's, there's also the part that is, wow, somebody is challenging my integrity in a way that's meaningful. Um, like I'm really alive with the possibilities of that and the, the excitement of that. When it comes to challenging her, that, um, that's a little bit harder for me, I think, than it is for her. I, there are things that I see 
often it's not so much about shadow, but it's about, well, there's maybe, yeah, sometimes I, I notice that she's in judgment of people, for instance, and so I'll try to bring that forward in a, in a loving way. Um, then there's, there's also the part of me that, that wants to avoid conflict and wants everybody to be happy with each other all the time, so I need to watch my own shadow in that respect. Um, but what I see is that whenever there's challenging material that we need to bring up with each other, and sometimes this happens on the couch, the couch experience that we were alluding to earlier, um, we'll come together on the couch and one of us will feel there will be something that we need to, to, to share with the other person about the way they're showing up. And so that's uncomfortable, but it always leads to something wonderful. It always leads to a deeper sense of intimacy between the two of us. And that's gotten so predictable that I know every time when I'm facing it, and I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm noticing like maybe there's something I need to share that I'm really not going to be happy about or, or it's something that I need to tell her about the way that she's showing up that maybe she won't appreciate. Um, I'm, I don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable because it'll, it'll hurt. It'll be uncomfortable and, and painful and we'll, you know, we'll be in discord disconnection for all of half an hour maybe. And that'll be awful. But, um, but on the other side of it, there's always a renewed connection. And that's special because when you're in a relationship where you feel pretty connected most of the time, that sense of renewed connection, that sense of having, having reconnected and rediscovered each other and come back together, that is a, that is a beautiful and precious thing. Yeah. yeah. And you use the word trust. I can see how trust is a foundation for this practice, but also respect for one another, respect that the other has the intuition and the, um, the skills to be able to call something to your attention, um, to really respect mm-hmm. their wisdom and to, um, to honor that because a lot of couples have been living together for decades and they don't respect each other. <laughs> So it would be really difficult for to do that practice if you don't have that trust and the respect. Mm-hmm. And willingness so, to be um, wrong. So I, I might be well, finding yeah, something out exactly. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. sprinkle humility in there too, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yep. Amrita, uh, what do you, um, with all the work that you've done with intimacy and communication and relationships, um, what do you commonly see in relationships that don't work? And what would you recommend people do? I think the biggest thing I see really circles us back to the beginning of this conversation, which is that people don't carve out time for intimacy and to really drop in with each other. So life becomes this ongoing, mundane, day-after-day grind, and it's all about the work and the kids and the dishes and the housework and the yard work. But what about the magic the magic gets lost, and 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 people their relationships can just disintegrate into no intimacy, no sexuality whatsoever, and that's such and that can go on for years and sometimes decades, and it's such a sad thing to see that because it's really it's preventable and it's fixable too, even if it's been going on a long time, and it's really about scheduling that time, starting out with just a few minutes a day or a week or whatever you can to say what's in your heart to to come back to a new place so really it's it's the lack of connection i see is the biggest thing that doesn't work and that's in any kind of relationship whether it's a love relationship or a relationship with family 
a lack of connection mm-hmm. and intimacy. Right. How about you, Apollo? What do you see commonly in relationships that doesn't work? I think uh, I often see that people carrying mental models of each other around, and uh, this gets involved in long-term friendships as well. People think they know who the other person is. They think they know if I say this to them, they're going to react this way, or um, she doesn't want this, or, or he's not into that. And they become less willing to take the risk of, of asking those questions because they think the little mental map that they've got has everything mapped out. And it, sometimes it's a scary map, too. It's like, oh, better not go there. When actually, if you did go there, life has surprises and you have an opportunity to open into the mystery of who each other are um, beyond those simple little ma- mental maps that you carry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad so you said I, I that. that because long- so- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say I'm glad you said that because um, I have many clients that come to me that want to open their relationship, um, but they just say their partner will never go for it, and they just – can't even imagine having the conversation. So we have to start with just helping them see that their partner may not be who they think they are. And if they can come to them from a place of open heartedness and vulnerability, uh, sharing what they truly want, then look what you guys have done through that practice. You know, you've Mm -hmm. shared who you really are and what you really want. And then you've negotiated a way that where both of you are getting your needs met. Um, so I love that you said that because I see that so frequently where they think their partner will never go for it, whatever the thing is that they want, whether it's an open relationship or just to go to a cuddle party or anything, you know, they just think, oh, they'll never go for it. And, um, and you don't know. You don't know, especially if you mm-hmm. learn to communicate in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the place that so, we are in now, I, it would have been very easy for me to continue to hide um, wanting to be polyamorous. And I know what lies down that road. I would have been resentful. It would have been a basis for disconnection in our relationship. And by actually opening up to her about, actually she noticed it in me, so I didn't hide all that well, I guess. But by actually having those conversations, um, we had to find the truth of who we are with each other and what we both want. And yeah, that was rich and magical and mysterious. And we couldn't have predicted where we landed. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And so my last question before we have to start wrapping up is for Amrita, and if Apollo wants to add something to that's fine. Um, but Amrita, you've been um, working in the Sacred Feminine Mystery School for a while, and I know that's really powerful work, and lots of students have come, have come through there. And I'm imagining that you have a larger vision for the world. So how has your work about how to be in intimate relationship um, how has that shown you how to be with our world today? Well, it's it's really interesting that you mentioned a larger vision for the world because that's just emerged in the last few months. And I really have a vision of, of this work around this really high integrity, safe, safe work around sacred sexual awakening and healing being made available to a wide range of people around the world and in a way that's really accessible because there's a fully closed version of the work that I teach that makes it very, very accessible. And 
that's the vision that I'm beginning to implement now, and it's why I started training teachers, because instead of just me teaching these workshops and reaching just a few women at a time, I want to train teachers who, can, who are around the world reaching a much wider audience, and that vision is already starting to unfold in some pretty amazing ways. Mm, beautiful. And how about you, Apollo? How do you see the work and the, the deep intimacy that you and Amrita have created um, going out into the world? I love that our relationship is part of the work that she does. Um, I've often come along with her to um, workshops that she leads, and I'm not part of the workshop container so far because most of the work she's done so far has been exclusively with women. But we, our relationship is very much a part of what's being shown and what's being offered. And um, it's an honor to me to show up in that way. I also come in as, as practitioner, so I'm continuing to operate as a, as a practitioner in the realm of sacred sexuality. And any way that we can share the patterning of what's worked for us as, as essentially a new way to love, as, as something that we can um, show to our students and have them uh, imprint on and take into their lives, um, that is just the biggest gift I could possibly give the world. It's the thing I'm most satisfied in all the world to possibly be doing. So that's tremendously mm, satisfying. Beautiful. Yay, yeah. thank you. Okay, so mm. we just have a couple more minutes, and I want to give you, and maybe Amrita can start, give you a chance to tell people how they can reach you um, if they want to do some work with you and if they want to go to the Feminine Mystery School. I think you also have something coming up later this year in Oakland, so maybe mention that because a lot of my listeners are local. Um, and then I, I think you also have a gift for our listeners. So you have a couple minutes. Go ahead and take it away. Great. Yes, absolutely. I um, would be happy to share my website is my name, amritagrace.com. It's A-M-R-I-T-A-G-R-A-C-E.com. And from there you can find out whatever you'd like to know about upcoming workshops. I do have a workshop coming up in Oakland that just got put on the books pretty recently. I have a very, of course, I lived in the Bay Area for some time, and I have a very dear friend who's um, invited to host me in the Oakland Hills. And the dates for that are October 12th through the 14th of this year. That, so that's a weekend workshop for women. It's called Sacred Sexual Awakening and Healing for Women, a Therapeutic Approach. So I like to create a real safe space around it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a safe space for healing and for awakening. Um, mm. I'm also going to be, I also have a, a teacher certification training that starts in July. It's a six-month program. There will be one this year and one next. And um, I'm just, that's just really in the creation process right now. So it's about half we full, which I'm really seconds. excited about. Sorry. Okay, great. So I want to let you know about the free gift that I have, which is my award-winning best-selling book. It's called Reclaiming Aphrodite, The Journey to Sexual Wholeness. And if you go to my website, amritagrace.com, and then forward slash Reclaiming Aphrodite, I think you can find it that way. I'd love to put a link on the page if we can to that. Okay, sure. I'll put that on there. Okay, well, thank you so much. I've loved chatting with you. I hope you'll, you'll come back again maybe next year sometime because we still have so much more to talk about. So thank you so much, you two. <laughs> Blessings and love to you. Thank you, Simiti. Blessings. Mm-hmm.
So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Veronica Monet. Uh, she is on a mission to remove all shame from our relationships and sexuality. So please join us next week on Leading Edge Love at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Good night, everyone. <laughs>